You're listening to Preaching Source, a ministry of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary's School of Preaching. I'm your host, Professor Barry McCarty. Our guest on Preaching Source today is Dr. Jonathan Falwell. He's the senior pastor of Thomas Road Baptist Church in Littsburg, Virginia. Uh, he's a graduate of Liberty University uh, with a Bachelor of Science and he holds a Master of Arts in Religion from Liberty Baptist Theological Seminary and a Juris Doctorate from Taft Law School in Santa Ana, California. He's the author of several books, including One Great Truth, Finding Your Answers to Life, A Thousand Days and the Ministry of Christ, and also Innovate Church. And Dr. Falwell preaches weekly on television through numerous national television outlets. I know many of you have heard him, listened to him, and watched him, and we're delighted to have him on Preaching Source today. Jonathan, welcome. Hey, it's great to be with you. Great to be here at this great seminary. Well, let's uh, jump right in. You've written several books on leadership and ministry, so let's put the question to you. How does a preacher lead his church from the pulpit? Well, you know, I'll be honest with you. I'm not sure a preacher can only lead his church from the pulpit. Uh, I believe a, church, a preacher has to lead his church from the pulpit and from the back rooms and from the hospital rooms and from the uh, the funeral parlors and the wedding ceremonies and all those kinds of things. He's got to lead the uh, the church from the visitation opportunities and from the opportunities in the lobby of the church of uh, of talking with people and getting to know people and ministering to people and knocking on the doors of their homes and and getting to know their families and finding out who they are and where they are and what you can do to come alongside and be an example of what Christ was an example of, of service. Uh, leadership is not a title, as you know. Leadership is not, uh, you know, just the fact that you're called the senior pastor. Leadership has to do with what you are doing to impact the lives of people through serving them, uh, through uh, being that person who ministers to them. And so, you know, what I firmly believe is, uh, as a local church pastor, um, when you get into that local church, when that is where God has placed you, uh, recognize that uh, that's not a, a position of power. It's not a position of I'm above everyone else. You get right down in the trenches and you do what you can to come alongside, to pick up the towel and to serve in any way that you possibly can. And as a result of that, when we learn to serve, that's when we begin to earn the right to be heard in leadership. And I think that people will see in us uh, the kind of actions that uh, that they see in, in Christ's life and in Christ's ministry of service. And when they see that in us, well, we naturally will become leaders in that church. And so it has to do with what we do far more uh, out of the pulpit than I think what we do in the pulpit. Um, I believe it goes together, but you better be a servant. Mm. Now, Thomas Road Baptist Church is an extraordinarily large congregation, and so you have a large staff. You had 250 people on your church staff. And I've met most of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, how, how does a pastor lead a staff that large? Uh, especially, how do you lead your staff in buying into your vision and strategy for the church? Well, I think, you know, a lot of it has to do with communication. Uh, some of that comes from the pulpit. Some of that comes from staff meetings. It comes from opportunities even in the hallway uh, of walking down the hall and, and, uh, and talking with people that are on your team, uh, finding out what's going on in their areas. Uh, in our hallway, in our office complex, we have a long hallway, and all the office suites are off of that long hallway. My office is there as well as all the other departments. And I regularly uh, go into those different uh, doorways and go into those office suites and uh, go into their place and the, into their territory and find out what's happening and talk with them and 
get information from them. And as a result, in those opportunities, every single time that I have the ability and the opportunity to have those conversations, what ends up happening is by hearing from them and hearing what's really going on in their world and their lives, uh, in their ministry, uh, it gives me an opportunity to, on a one-on-one basis or a one-on-two, one-on-three, to speak into their area, to speak uh, vision and leadership into their area so that it comes not from this top-down kind of idea, but rather from a, uh, you know, two colleagues having a conversation about how we can do our jobs better. And um, another thing that, that certainly we do, and I know this is, you know, most churches that, that, that are large church, large staffs would have uh, this in areas. We've got some incredible team members that serve alongside uh, of me uh, that uh, are, are working in and leading those areas and continuing on a, on a daily basis of making sure that everyone stays connected, everyone stays involved. And uh, of course, you know, I have interactions with that group of people, about five or six, uh, on a regular, you know, daily basis, sometimes even hourly basis, so that make sure that regardless of what area in the church it is, whether it's from student ministries even to transportation and buses and those kinds of things, um, that I as the pastor never get too far disconnected from uh, our team and disconnected from uh, the people that are involved in those areas of ministry so that I have the opportunity to speak into those areas. When, when we as senior pastors or senior leaders end up isolating ourselves because of a largeness of a staff, uh, what ends up happening is we lose the opportunity to speak into those areas, and, and even if we're doing it through, you know, through through conduits or through individuals who you know serve under us, under us who then serve under someone else, that kind of thing. We, we as the senior leaders, if we don't actively stay involved and actively, you know, talking with them, spending time with them, I think we'll lose the opportunity to have that kind of uh, real one-on-one impact that I believe we we should have. Your father, uh, Jerry Falwell, was an extraordinary pastor and preacher and and leader. Uh, Actually, he would have been that if his leadership had just been limited to Thomas Road Baptist Church, but it wasn't. Uh, At a time when our country and our culture needed him, he provided leadership to national movements for morality. Are are there any leadership principles in particular that that you can tie to having learned from your father? Well, one thing that he often told me as I was growing up, and uh, even later on when I was an adult and in ministry, is he often told me, if you ever want to be successful in ministry or successful in life, surround yourself with people who are smarter and more talented than you are. Now, the only difference between my dad and me is I'm, I can actually pull that one off. Uh, my dad was an incredible, incredibly intelligent man. You've had the opportunity of meeting him through the years, and um, incredibly smart, incredibly talented, incredibly gifted. Uh, there'll never be another one like him, in my opinion. Uh, so for him to surround himself with people who are smarter and more talented than him was a difficult thing. For me, it's really easy to be able to pull that one off because uh, I know that I'm limited in all that I can do. And so uh, surrounding yourself with people who can come alongside and can fill in the gaps where you lack areas of expertise or lack areas of wisdom or even abilities. Uh, I am, uh, you know, I'm the kind of guy that uh, I grew up in, in, you know, obviously I grew up in the church and, and very uh, well-versed in all the different things with regards to ministry, but also very narrowly focused and well-versed in things that we as Thomas Road have done, because I grew up in that church. Uh, from the time I was born all the way till today, 51 years, I've been in the same exact church. 
So I don't have a lot of uh, expertise in, in how different things are done and how different churches do uh, other areas of ministry, reaching out to different groups and different cultures, those kinds of things. And so uh, what, uh, what he taught me was, man, bring people in who can do that. Bring people in who can teach you, teach me as the senior pastor, but also who can be engaged in reaching out to people that maybe you'll never have the opportunity of reaching. And so, you know, surrounding yourself with really good and godly people who have the same vision, the same heart, and the same passion of the gospel of Jesus Christ, of bringing people to Christ. Um, another leadership thing that Dad often talked to me about, and I know, again, this has been said a million times over, is always make sure that you stay every single day ground in God's Word, uh, reading a proverb every single day. Uh, I once asked him, as he was uh, every morning, he did this for, for decades and decades, I would see him, uh, and he would read a proverb a day. So on, on you know, January 1st, he'd read Proverbs 1. On January 2nd, Proverbs 2. And he did that every month uh, of every year for as long as I knew him until the day he died. And I once asked him, I said, you know, I mean, you read Proverbs every single month. You go through the entire book every single month. I mean, you know, don't you think you ought to go into a different book or do something else? Or, and he said, no. He said, go to Proverbs chapter 1. What does it tell you? It says that this book, these Proverbs are given to give us wisdom, to give us guidance so that we can be, uh, have knowledge, that we can be fair, that we can be just, uh, that we will know how to walk, and so that we'll be successful. Um, and that's the beginning of wisdom, is finding that fear of the Lord that comes through, uh, through these. And so, you know, he taught me, read a proverb every single day so that we can be impacted by uh, the truth and the wisdom that God gives to us. And so, just elements like those kinds of things that he, um, you know, as, as successful as he became in ministry and as widespread uh, and impactful as his ministry uh, grew to be, uh, he never walked away from those, those, those foundational uh, things that brought him into that place to begin with. He always stayed doing those same things. Uh, lots of times, you know, large church pastors uh, we'll get to the place where they don't do hospital visitation anymore. They won't do funerals anymore. They don't do weddings anymore because the church is too big and we don't know everybody. So we we hire people to do those kinds of things. My dad, until the day he died, as busy as he was, uh, as successful as he was, every single week he was in the hospitals visiting people from our church. Every week he was preaching funerals. Every week he was doing weddings. He did that until the day he died because he knew that what he did when he began was just as important the day he died. Wow. You mentioned the need to reach uh, other people in other cultures. Uh, Thomas Road has uh, planted more than 1,500 churches, not actually, just in— Actually, we're up around 5,000 churches that we've wow. planted in the last Boy, 31 years. Wow, my information yes. is dated. 5,000, 5, but uh, six countries is what I had. What are Actually, more than that, but uh, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're actively involved in church planting. And again, this goes back before me. This goes back 30-plus years. Okay. In fact, when Thomas Road began back in 1956— uh, just last year, going through back some of our church history and different things that we as a church have done, um, I found that, it, that about eight months after my dad planted Thomas Road Baptist Church, he already was in the process of planting his second church. And it's a little church out in Arnold's Valley, Virginia, and he planted that church uh, in early 1957. That church today continues to meet, it continues to thrive, uh, about 30 miles away from Lynchburg, from where we are. Uh, so that was the beginning, the genesis of church planting with regards to Thomas Road, and we continue to this day. We're still planting churches. We're still active in places like Kenya, Nepal, India, uh, Vietnam, Cuba, Haiti, Guatemala, uh, El Salvador, Nicaragua, Honduras. Um, we have a, plant, a training center down in Guatemala in Zacapa State where we're training two to 300 pastors every single uh, month. They're going out and planting churches throughout Central America. Um, I believe in church planting. Uh, I believe that we will never have the opportunity 
uh, to reach this world with the gospel of Jesus Christ unless we are actively doing everything that we possibly can to plant more churches, to reach more people, to reach them where they are. And so, uh, yeah, church planting is a very big part of what we do. Now, that's an extraordinary record of success in church planting. What, what's the key to that success? Well, I think the key is just being open to and recognizing uh, that church plants can have lots of different feel and lots of different looks. Uh, I'm not against planting big churches and traditional types of churches where you, you know, you have the big launch cycle that goes through and you have the, you know, you rent the high school and you have the big events and you do all the mailings and you do all the postcards, all those kinds of things. We do those kinds of things. We also plant house churches. Uh, I know that uh, things, some of the things that we're involved in, uh, when you go to, uh, say, New York City and you walk into an apartment complex there where 5,000 people live in the same uh, building sometimes— and you recognize it because of the expense of New York City, because of all that's taking place there. Uh, you can't go in and do a traditional uh, church plant in those kinds of places. But you know what we can do? We can go, we can find individuals who are maybe involved in business or um, involved in, in legal or education areas. We can find them, we can talk with them, we can become, uh, we can begin to train them, we can teach them what it means, they're followers of Christ already, of what it means that to be a bivocational pastor, and we can plant churches in an apartment complex where they can reach their 5,000 people, their, their Jerusalem, in the building and where they live, and they can have a church right there. So it's having this view of this idea that churches come in all different shapes and all different sizes and all different styles, and that's okay, as long as we are continuing to stand, number one, on the inerrancy of Scripture, number two, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through Christ and Christ alone, preaching on and standing on the gospel. Um, churches can look a lot of different ways. Wow. Now, many of our listeners prayed for you and your wife uh, when you were in in Hurricane Irma. You were, you were there in the Caribbean yes, we on, on the islands, and uh, I've already I already know from uh, an earlier conversation with you what extraordinary things God did through that. Just tell us a little bit the story of of what God did coming out of that, and and how uh, that may have changed. Uh, the way you uh, think or preach or, or minister? Well, you know, we were on, on uh, just a mini vacation. Uh, it was a 25th wedding anniversary. I surprised my wife, and boy, was it a surprise. We, <laughs> uh, I, I didn't tell her where we were going until the night before we left, and we went to St. Martin, and we were there. And we, we saw, or I saw, you know, about a week before we went, I saw that there was a hurricane that was off the coast, uh, the western coast of Africa that was kind of stirring up there. So I changed our flights to come back a day earlier to get out of that area before the storm hit. Unfortunately, when we got there, the storm picked up a little bit of speed, moved in a little bit quicker, and then the airport shut down. The flights were all canceled, so we were stuck. And I thought that what we would do is we'd end up being in the hotel. We'd be probably in the basement for a night or so. There'd be lots of wind, maybe some damage. The next day, we'd come out and go back to life as usual. Uh, it wasn't like that. It was a direct hit, a Category 5 storm. It destroyed the entire island, destroyed our hotel, uh, literally blew out the walls, the ceilings of where we were. Um, and, and we were stuck there for five days. And in the midst of that, uh, that period of time, in five days, being stuck in a shelter, in a bunker, with uh, about 300 other individuals that I had never met before, didn't know who they were, they came from all over the world, all different backgrounds and different walks of life, um, had the opportunity of developing some relationships and some friendships. Uh, and through that season and through that, that uh, to be quite honest with you, that through that very scary time uh, of not knowing if we were going to be able to even make it out of that storm, as that ho hotel was literally breaking apart as we were sitting in there that night, I had the opportunity to pray with a lot of people. And as a result of that, God has opened some incredible doors of ministry to some individuals that uh, I had the opportunity of being there with. 
uh, some families that uh, from a Muslim background that I've become friends with, and we, uh, our families have now gotten together several times since. We've, we've talked on the phone. We've talked by email and text. We've had the opportunity of having dinner together. Uh, my family and their family. We're getting to to know them very well and spending time with them. And God is opening doors to, to reach people that, to be honest with you, I probably never would have even met, certainly would never have the opportunity to minister to, uh, had it not been for uh, that storm. And you go back to, you know, the, the Old Testament statement that, uh, you know, what, what one meant for evil, God meant for good. Uh, there's no question that in this situation, uh, yeah, it was a, an evil night. I mean, it was tough. It was scary. Uh, I was I was definitely afraid, but God used that uh, for an incredible amount of good, and and I, I believe firmly that there will be people, and I think there already have been people who've come to Christ as a result of that storm, and the result of that destruction, whose lives will be forever changed, and whose eternity eternity will be forever changed because of a hurricane uh, that no one ever wants to go through. And I got to be honest with you, I don't ever want to go through another one, but the one I was there, I was in it. Uh, you know, I checked it off the list. And yes, God used it. Jonathan, most of our listeners to Preaching Source are preachers, and most of them are preparing messages every single week, just like yourself. Uh, walk us through your process. How, how do you prepare your, okay. your sermon? Well, I kind of do it in a two-step two process. There's a long view and a short view. The long view that I have is uh, I, I'm looking out always three to six months ahead of kind of the direction that I'm going to go and kind of the areas that I'm going to be hitting on, uh, looking backwards a, a year or two. Uh, to see where I've been, and uh, then as I do that, looking forward to some of the areas that maybe some gaps, some things, you know, if I haven't really kind of dealt with any relationship or family or marriage issues, you know, I might, you know, kind of want to make sure we put something in there that can be in that area with regards to what we're studying and what we're walking through. Um, again, in that long view, uh, look at the books that we're going to be talking about uh, or talking through, walking through, uh, the passages that we're going to spend time in, uh, putting all that together from a, from a long-range view, a perspective of where we're going. Right now I'm working on uh, next March and April, kind of where we're going to be going. Then on the short side, the short view, when we get a little bit closer, um, I sit down and start actually crafting the, the, that series or that, you know, if it's three weeks, six weeks, seven weeks, whatever it might be, of exactly what I'm going to hit in those, those uh, six or seven sermons, what passages we're going to be walking through, uh, begin to study the, you know, the, 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 uh, the overview, the broad view study of those passages. And then when it gets actually into the week, for instance, this coming Sunday, I'm, I'm working right now, working through a passage in Genesis, um, it's kind of interesting. I'm, I'm doing a Christmas series, and I'm going to Genesis. And what I'm talking about is the point of Christmas, and the point of Christmas was the covering that Christ came to give. And I'm going all the way back to the Garden of Eden, and after the original sin, when Adam and Eve were there, and 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 they were hiding themselves, covering themselves, because after the sin, they had found out that they were naked. And and, and you remember, you know, in that garden, God said, who told you you were naked? You know, that God uh, allowed them that covering, and God protected them and guided them there, that that's the picture of what Christmas is, is that Christ came to be our covering. And so, like this week, I'm walking through that passage in Genesis, I'm spending time on that. I will put that together through this week, and then on Sunday morning, I'll go in uh, about 6 a.m. Uh, into my office. I'll spend about three hours in my office where uh, I will walk through, read through the passage, read through my notes, uh, pray through that, uh, that passage, pray through uh, my notes, spend time kind of really getting incredibly familiar with that passage so that when I walk out to the first service at 915, uh, I'm ready to go. So it's kind of a three-step process. It's the, you know, the long view, which is three to six months out, the short view, which is you know, between a, a, a month to a week out, 
and then the day of, uh, spending about three hours uh, on that sermon before I walk into the pulpit. That is a great formula. Our guest on Preaching Source today has been Dr. Jonathan Falwell, the senior pastor of Thomas Road Baptist Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. Jonathan, thank you so much for taking time to be with us on Preaching Source. Well, it's an honor to be with you, and I thank you for all that you continue to do to strengthen and encourage the pastors uh, in our country and around the world. Uh, As a pastor, we need it, and so thank you for what you do.